OT After Dark is a podcast run by two occupational therapists and is for adults only. The views on this podcast are our own and are intended for information and educational purposes only. We believe that sex and sexual pleasure are a human right for consenting adults, regardless of ability, age, gender, or sexual orientation. We discuss topics that cover a wide variety of sex and sexual practices. To be true to our strong views regarding inclusivity, we use common and slang terms regarding sexual topics, which may be considered explicit. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Kay. And I'm JJ. And we're both occupational therapists. And we're here talking to you about sex. We're here, finally, after trying for a very long time to very schedule long. with our friend and colleague. I will t- I'll let JJ tell you who we have. We're going to be talking to Robin Chilton, a professor at Cleveland State University, talking about the OT profession and their knowledge and attitudes about sexuality and specifically also talking about older adult sexuality. Enjoy the show. Today on OT After Dark, we have Robin Chilton, who is a professor at Cleveland State University. She's joining us today to talk about her research regarding OT professional knowledge and attitudes towards older adult sexuality. Welcome, Robin, to OT After Dark. Thank you for having me. I've been very much looking forward to it, and I'm excited to be a part of the podcast. So excited to have you on. Now, fun fact about Robin here. Uh-oh. Robin oh, is responsible. I know what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. She is the one responsible for my interest in OT and sexuality. So <gasps> oh. really, it all started with Robin. I remember back in OT school that I had to do a project on older adults and sexuality and do a presentation. I yes. still have it in all of the sex positions. Oh, excellent. So, thank you, Robin. <laughs> I feel well, like we have to keep this even, and I'm, we're going to have to have the person that got me interested in, good old John, we're going to have to have him on the podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this out. Oh, well, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So very excited to have you on. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got into this area of research? Sure. So I have been an occupational therapist for almost 25 years, and my interest has always been in older adults. I started my OT practice at a long-term care facility where I worked for seven years and then uh, moved on to a hospital. And the reason I'm kind of giving you that background is a a lot of in acute care was a lot of older adults. And of course, in the long-term care facility was older adults. And never, not once, did I have anyone have the comfort level to approach me or as a patient or as a family member or as an administrator about um, sexuality, sex, uh, intimacy, dating, anything about that in with our older adult population, which I thought that's a lot of years to not have that kind of information or not 
um, come across that in my clinical practice. I mean, they'd come across low vision, I'd come across driving, I'd come across all the ADLs and never sex. So was it something you were seeing as a need? Like you were seeing patients probably were interested, but just not bringing it up or you weren't even sure if people were kind of a mix. Um, I remember when it first kind of hit me, I was doing um, a home evaluation and it was, I was seeing someone in their home doing OT, home health. And we were talking and she said how she had a boyfriend. And I was like, oh, she was in her 80s. And I was like, oh, that, what? That's kind of cool. And then she said how the family was very much against it and how they were um, only allowed to date if a family member was present, meaning their children. And these were people that were in their 80s. Oh my goodness. And so I remember thinking (laughs) that was really strange. And I thought, well, who could intervene for them? Who could, you know, who who would do that? And I, I really never thought about it, you know, being from an area of OT. And then we did have one time an outpatient who was a physician and he had had a knee replacement and he had asked one of our OT assistants about, hey, is there anything about, you know, sex or sexuality? And we had nothing nothing. So I was kind of embarrassed, really, because as the OT coordinator at that time, I couldn't even say where to find something. And and the internet wasn't really hadn't taken off to the point it is now where you can probably Google things. And so I thought, huh, this is kind of a need and and something more that I worked with it. And then when I worked at the hospital, um, with people that came from the community, so sometimes I guess if you're in a long-term care facility, you're, you're a little more compromised, but you know, people are coming in from the community and going home and that, that was not on the evaluation. It was never asked. It was never brought up. And as a matter of fact, I finally did a presentation about it to the, to the clinicians and it was pretty well received, but it was a little, you know, snickering and everybody's got the giggles. Yes. yes. And... Everyone is slightly uncomfortable under the surface <laughs> and myself too, because these are my colleagues, my co-workers and I want to make sure that I'm being professional but then also kind of being looking at their comfort level too so that that's kind of how it all kind of got started and then when I had the opportunity to start teaching at Cleveland State I my first semester was uh, a cl- only one class that was with about older adults and there was really nothing about sex just a little bit about how the reproductive system changes when you get older and I thought okay this is my chance this is my foot in the door <laughs> And so I just kept adding to it and adding to it. And what's so funny is uh, we had this thing called the Journal Club. We still do it. And if you're a student listening, you're probably cringing right now about the <laughs> Journal Club. <laughs> but I remember the, the um, was a, a man who was an OT student. There were only like 14 in the class at that time. He was going to do his presentation on sex. I was like, fantastic. And he couldn't even find a good article. And I remember he presented something from like the Ladies Home Journal or, you know, Red Book or one of those magazine, women's magazines. And I was like, does he not understand the concept of a, you know, of a journal? But there was just nothing out there that he was looking for. So it really kind of put the the onus on us as therapists, like, we need to learn about this. Because and- even now, we started the podcast in 2019. And there were only really, I mean, a handful of articles specifically talking about sex and occupational therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I will say since then in the four years since then, 
There's a lot more. There's been an explosion. <laughs> an explosion. Explo- yes. Yes. What a great word. Um, but in terms of older adults, it's it's even less, you know, and people just do not want to touch this topic. And I've seen in the literature, I've even seen the word taboo used. Yeah. Like it's a taboo subject. And I thought, oh. Jeez, well, if we're, that's how we're referring to it. Nobody's going to touch it. Or it's ever. like accidental data that you get. You just happen to have. Yeah. There, some people happen to fall in an older age range. Yes. So you get a little bit of data there, but it wasn't like intentional research on that. No, not at all. No, I found very little. And the research that I found most um, compelling or interesting was done out of the United States. Yep. In other countries. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I remember kind of one article that I read and it was a study and I want to say it was done in Ireland and I pulled a lot of information from there and I was like, wow, we really need to step up our game a little bit. Ireland, I feel like has some of the, Ireland and Australia probably have some of the better research related to sex and intimacy. Mm -hmm. And this article was not just OT, it was nursing students Mm -hmm. and I think social work students too. Getting that interprofessional perspective, which is so important. Yes. So that was kind of how I I landed on it and bring it, you know, brought to Cleveland State. And I'm not going to lie, when I first, I've been doing this class now for almost 20 years. I think this is my 20th year teaching it. Really? I think 19. (laughs) Yeah. I I started in 2004. Oh my goodness. I know. So now like... When I first started, there were some little slides I showed with positioning and everyone went crazy. And that was just so funny. And (laughs) people were taking pictures, you know. (laughs) We've gone to the other end of the spectrum in this program. (laughs) Yes. And then, you know, a few years later, I added more information. And then I brought in a vibrator to class one day because that's, you know, an adaptive equipment. And then, you know, the, the different types of kind of enhancements and things that you can use. And so I think it's important for a student to know if they're going to be telling someone and giving them information that they know what a vibrator is, what it looks like, what it, how it works. I mean, all those things. So that's why I thought this is no different than a plate with a build-up rim or, you know, something like that. So I think it's so great that you're you're normalizing this content yes. and you're just making it part of this everyday conversation, just like any other activity of daily yes. living. And just like you said, this adaptive equipment is to help with this ADL and it's no different than anything else that we right. use. Exactly. And I, and I had to tell myself that when I was in the store for lovers buying some of the equipment like I was I was oh my gosh I, I couldn't get out of there I was just like oh there's this there's this and let me tell you the woman who worked at that store was very, very knowledgeable very knowledgeable it was not a silly funny thing I kind of explained to her why I was there what I was doing what would be some of the more common things that people would use this is when I was just learning stuff myself so imagine when you turn in your um, receipt for reimbursement yeah. from the university <laughs> the store for lovers we had a similar experience though at, at various stores of, of people of people being very especially at one she was very helpful and clearly had helped other clients who had various disabilities find stuff um because as soon as she realized what we were doing she was showing like oh this helps with somebody with this issue and this and this and that i know i thought should i have her as a guest speaker yeah right yeah she was really it was great and then and like you said she showed me things that oh of course you need to clean these and you can't just rinse them off 
you know, you really need the special equipment or a special cleaner that won't damage the plastic yeah. and that won't, you know, um, get worn down or, you know. Yeah, the integrity of the product, yeah. but still making sure that it's sanitary and it's safe. You need to look at the sugar content of yes. edible lube. Yes, yes. And as a matter of fact, something I didn't think about, but one of the students raised their hand. What if you have a diabetic and you're using this? And I was, because I'm not above passing that around with spoons to taste <laughs> and uh someone said well, what about diabetics and I thought oh, I didn't think of that so the students are they're interested and obviously some are embarrassed and I've had some for religious re- reasons and different things that chose not to participate in the class that day which is you know of course they're right um but most almost all are very very receptive to it and and some more than others, and some have good questions, and some come to you afterwards or email you, or they've been thinking about it, or they were embarrassed, or, you know. Again, most of the students I teach are in their early 20s, I would say, um, primarily female. So, uh, you know, there can be a little bit of, I don't know, anxiety maybe talking about it or, or embarrassment. So, But I think what's great, too, is you're providing this environment in this educational setting where they can ask those questions. They can have those moments of embarrassment and and kind of have almost that those times where you're going to fail and it's not going to work. Where that way, when they go into the clinic, that's not the first time that they're having those emotions and those feelings. And it's not in front of a client. Exactly. It's a safe space. We can talk about it. You can ask me questions. I'm going to put the questions on the exam about it. It's not a one and done. Hey, it's one class. We're done. You know, um, I actually have then a guest speaker who comes in um, and addresses sexuality and with the um, LGBTQ community and is much more knowledgeable than I am. So we do, we have a whole week of, you know, the class is only two times per week, but I do two hours and then he does two hours. And I think it really hits, hits a need that, that we have that is not, you know, Next week, we're going to talk about cardiac issues you know, <laughs> and driving. So, Well, I think it's showing up in more course materials. Um, we use simulated electronic health record. And a lot of students have pointed out that when they're doing a case study for me with that, um, they'll be, they'll, it could just be one sentence where somebody mentions, and it's often older adults, so somebody there knows what's up, that they, that they express some interest, like a concern about engaging in sexual activity again. And that's an interdisciplinary product. So I think they're they're adding those things more um, so that the conversations are well, starting. They're going to have to because the population is getting older and older and we're just seeing as we call the graying of the population <laughs> and we're going to have by 2050 it's going to be I think there's going to be 54 million people in America alone or you know over the age of 65 as opposed to what there was at you know the kind of the turn of the century so we're just seeing more and more and, and the baby boomers are much more open to I mean I'm seeing a difference even in the past 20 years that I've been teaching with the types of clients that we're seeing so now we're getting baby boomers who are much more open about sexuality than maybe people were even 10 years ago. So they're going to have to, the students and and us as clinicians are going to have to really step up to the plate and start addressing this. So then you went back for your post-professional OTD. Yes. And decided to do a 
real big project. Yes. <laughs> a wonderful research yes. project. <laughs> tell us about oh, that. Oh, let me tell you about something that took some years off my life. <laughs> and that was... <laughs> no, it was really a wonderful experience. And the capstone was amazing. And I had an incredible uh, capstone advisor and mentor who was just helped me every step of the way and was very, very kind of excited about the project and never stood in my way with anything and, and really enhanced a lot. He asked really good questions that made me think like, huh, how can I how can I make this better? So always having had this interest and really looking back at what do people really know and why are clinicians not being, you know, assertive with this and and learning more about it. And so I decided to see to get a sense of if we offered more education on it, would that change not only the knowledge, but the attitudes of people as well? Because you can know a lot of stuff, but you can still have a really negative attitude about it. And Or sometimes when you learn more, your attitude changes because you understand more. So kind of in a nutshell, I recruited... Um, occupational therapists. And it started with just the state that I live in, because I was able to get the whole, all the registered OTs and OTAs from the state. And so then, then I started putting it onto Facebook, onto OT After Dark, um, and really started to get a lot of interest. And what, how the research sort of went is I recruited the individuals and they had to do a pretest called the ASCUS, which is the Aging Sexual Knowledge and Attitude Scale. So it's really geared towards clinicians and not towards older adults. It's it's knowledge and attitudes about older adults, obviously, by the clinicians, not by the older adults themselves. So they took this pretest and then they filled out some demographic information, etc. And then I presented a two-hour webinar on older adult sexuality and it started with everything from why do we need it where's the gap in literature what is out there and then I just kind of went through a very basic what happens when you age what is normal what is maybe not normal and then looked at some adaptations you can make like positioning equipment all those different types of things and then I also went into older adults who live in long-term care facilities and how to address that and how that's not being addressed And then also just asked, was asked questions, you know, at the end, because it was, I mean, I could have talked forever, but you had to really focus on your time. And then after the webinar, then the individuals um, had time to take the ASCUS again, so pre-test, post-test. And then as part of their demographic information, I asked if they would be willing to participate in a qualitative interview. And so then I sort of just did a convenient sampling and tried to get people that were in all different areas and had been an OT for different amounts of time and then did 10 qualitative interviews about knowledge and attitudes. And it it was very eye-opening. So the, the study just kind of showed that if the, the quantitative part showed with pre-test, post-test, knowledge went up, which attitudes kind of stayed the same. Now that was a quick turnaround. But then when I did the qualitative piece, it really kind of filled that in for me because people said, hey, listen, I'm in acute care. I don't have time. They've got to get dressed. They've got to wash their face. They've got to be able to go to the toilet and out. You know, sex is like a luxury. Some people would said that. That's Uh a luxury discussion. (laughs) And other people said, another thing that was kind of interesting is I personally 
don't have a lot of experience with sex myself. And I, I feel uncomfortable counseling other people when I really don't know that much have, that my own personal experience, much of my own personal experience. So that was understandable. Some of it was cultural. You know, I feel really awkward uh, you know, talking about older adults, talking to older adults who could be a grandparent or who could be a parent. And that's just something that, you know, I'm not comfortable with. And there were just a lot of things that kind of came up with it. But I think the main things were the time, the sort of embarrassment and the, the culture and, the, you know, the culture of aging and the culture of sexuality. And then also the thoughts about, the, you know, hey, we've got a We've got other things, bigger, important things to do to get them, you know, out. I'm curious. I'm just wondering, like, are there other things we're uncomfortable talking about as OT practitioners that we need to be... I'm sure. Looking at... I'm sure. I mean... Because it seems like there are other very intimate conversations, like about wiping your butt and stuff that are just as personal. And, And I think what I should also have started with is I need to explain to people that it's not just intercourse, right? It's not just sexual intercourse. It could be intimacy of writing love letters to each other. It could be holding hands. It could be kissing. It could be, you know, any of those different kinds of things. It doesn't necessarily have to be full on. Common one, I feel like I may have talked about this in another podcast, but a common one for me in skilled nursing was just being able to stand up long enough to kiss or hug. Yes. At the same level that you were used to. Yes. So people that can still stand just to have activity tolerance yes. issues but just be able to stand and hug their loved yeah. one or kiss them at the same level oh, you know that's so interesting because one of the uh one of the ot's that i interviewed was a new grad from our program and she said she helped a couple dance yeah. they wanted to dance like do a slow dance Wonderful. and she worked that was sort of a goal that they had and i just thought that was so romantic and it and meets so... other goals like yes. you need that activity tolerance that standing balance whatever it is to do all those ADLs yes exactly Um, so it still addresses those things yeah so just looking at that perspective and if you look at you know not to be real technical but if you look at the our framework they've the new the newest um, edition it used to be the old edition was like reproduction that was what you know sex was about but this specifically says intimacy touching masturbation all different aspects that we might not think about and I'm glad and it says is an ADL because people how do we bill for that bill it as an ADL just like you bill any other ADL Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so I'm thinking huh we look at sleep we look at can you balance your checkbook can we look at all these different things but this is something that has been by the way, and especially for the older adults. I mean, that's just been a whole And other... I would argue there is time in acute to do it. You don't have to spend a lot of time to ha- to tell somebody who maybe just had heart surgery what they can and ca- what, what is safe and what is not yes. safe to engage in and give them some, a little, some tips. Yes. And that's kind of, you know, following the placid model where you're giving specific suggestions and limited information. They don't need, like I said, how I described to the students, if someone has a hip replacement, I don't need to tell them about every single joint replacement and how it, I tell them what happens with the hip. The same thing with, with the sexual question. Here's, okay, this is what you need to know. This is what I'm going to tell you. I don't need to give you the whole two hour It doesn't need to be the whole thing. Course. It could be one handout that you, yes. you give them. I give, talk yes. about it a little bit and then let them 
process that information. And I think, too, at the same time, it's not our job as OTs and OT practitioners to prioritize what's important to somebody else. No. So, you know, no. if, if maybe it's more important that I have this intimacy with my right. partner than it is for me to be able to put my socks on. Yes. You know? Yes. And so I think and, and also for the partner that's there that comes in to, to be with their loved one or the someone who's important to them. And I think also what I've tried to describe to the students or to people in general, to the clinicians, is that just letting the person know they that you're open to it. And hey, by the way, do you have any issues about sex, sexuality that you would like to discuss? We don't have to do it today. It's something you can think about. And we can, the door is open and I'm here to help you with that if you need it. So... So what are the next directions for the research you did and what you've developed? Well, (laughs) in a perfect world, in the perfect world. (laughs) Yes. In the perfect world, I'd have a 50 hour day and not a 20. I feel like I have a 50 hour day that I cram into 24 hours. I definitely want to write up the research and do some more dissemination. I've done it at conference, you know, conferences, but, you know, having it, uh, in a journal of some type, I think would be important. And I'd like to do more of the community of practice model where I'm teaching people, they're learning it, they're going back to their facility, they're teaching people, and it's just going on and on and on, and it's just becoming more normalized. So I think that is very, very important. And then what I've learning, what I'm learning more about from my colleagues here is that, you know, the interprofessional piece. And it's not just what we do as OTs, but what happens from the social work aspect, what happens from a communication aspect with, you know, uh, speech therapists or, or, you know, what physical therapy could add to it. And I think there's a lot if we open the door and, and normalize it, I think that would be fantastic. And even going, um, I did a presentation for um, an older adult community, and it was on Zoom. And there were pretty good amount of participants and just talking to older adults. How can you talk to your healthcare provider? What kinds of things should you ask them? Here are some tips. Here are some things that you you can do with your loved one and with, you know, different diagnoses, things like that. So I have so much. There's a lot. I'll never retire. (laughs) (laughs) This work will continue on. You gotta continue it on with other people. Yes. And it's kind of funny because I fell ice skating and I, I dislocated my shoulder and I really messed up my shoulder, which is kind of funny that I'm an OT and I have a shoulder issue. But my husband said, oh, good thing you know all about sex positioning and all those great things because there ain't going to be no problem. (laughs) I was like, put all your knowledge into practice. Yes. Yes. Would you like a pre-test, (laughs) post-test? So, you know, people, it, it, and it, it's funny because I was mentioning in a meeting I was in earlier today that it, like at my home, it's very normalized sex is, you know, not that we're running around, you know, that's all we talk about, but the kids, if they have a question, they know they can come to me or I have books around that I'm reading about sexuality and they're on the kitchen counter. I don't feel like I need to hide them or, you know, I just, I want to normalize it as much as possible. So on that, I have a question. Um, It's, if it's not obvious to listeners, we all work for the same institution. (laughs) (laughs) We're very supported in, in addressing sex and intimacy, not just within the OT department, but um, throughout the college, all the way up to our, our Dean. Yes. Um, But do you have any advice for people who are maybe, in a academic institution or in a in another clinical setting 
where they're the only ones who want to address this and they need to introduce it and normalize it more. I think you just, I know it sounds kind of simple, but you kind of just need to go for it. I mean, it's really, you can, it's backed by the literature. So if you have to get to evidence-based practice or you have to say, you know, why? Well, the literature is showing this is a gap. This is something we need. And, you know, learn about it or reach out to people that might know a little more about it than you. I knew nothing. I mean, I really did. And I certainly have a lot more to learn, but I feel like I'm open to it. And, And then if you are open to it and you sort of take that little courageous step and dip your foot in the water like, okay, because people want to know. I've had people come to me from other universities that, you know, said, could you do a little presentation to our students because they're very interested in this and we don't really have a lot of knowledge or expertise in our in our faculty. And I'm happy to do that, happy to do that and do a Zoom or, you know, whatever. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that I need to be there because now God, God bless Zoom. <laughs> we can do anything. We can be anywhere. Anywhere, yes. And so I think that's that's a really good question. But I think just taking that step, and it, it doesn't mean you have to know everything right off the bat. doesn't mean you have to have a two-hour presentation. Maybe talk about it for 15 minutes in your class and just say, hey, let's, let's get a group together. Let's talk about it more. Let's, you know, what are your concerns, you know, as students? And I think that can kind of pave the way a little bit. And as you pointed out, what's so important is that that need for evidence-based practice and using evidence-based practice to really solidify that this is an important topic. Yes. So we're, you know, having that to back up what we're saying and to get that buy-in with administrators or other um, people in your organization. And I'm really lucky because where we work has always, all all the years I've been here, has been supportive of this. Our previous director, our current director, other faculty members have never said, hey, you need to you need to pull back on that a little bit. They, they've been like, hey, need to go pull for out. it. You need to pull out <laughs> right on time. Otherwise trouble. Sorry. I, was... I, I fed it to you purposely. <laughs> Sometimes I have to catch myself. Sometimes I have to say to the students, don't put that on your evaluation. Don't put that on your evaluation, but I'm going to say something that may be inappropriate. And they just look I at me like, the same oh, thing. surprise, surprise. <laughs> But I think, you know, you have to have a sense of humor about it, too, because it isn't uncomfortable. But, you know, at some point you have to say, well, this is it's still serious and still something that people need to know about. But, you know, people get a little giddy and silly at first and then they kind of settle down and they just really listen. And, oh, hey, that's okay. I'd like to know about that more. And I've been surprised by some of the conferences I've been to and that we're seeing. I thought we would see more of it and we are I think in in terms of sexuality but in terms of the older adult I just don't see a lot of it I see a lot in peds I see a lot with our peds or or young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities but yeah I don't see a lot with with older adults and I say when you get your ARP card it doesn't mean you need to turn in your sex card (laughs) right (laughs) you have retirement you have a lot of time on your hands you can be creative. You can have fun. You don't have kids in the house. You don't even have to wear clothes. I mean, it is. I am embra- going to embrace it. I'm going to embrace it. Maybe I do want to retire. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I think so. that's where we end. Naked in the house. Naked right? In the house. Yes. Is there any other way to be? I know. I live alone. No. <laughs> I have to be careful because I know that around the first of the month, the meter reader comes. <laughs> 
I see him on, I saw him the other day on the back porch and I was like, he's checking something. I'm like, oh, he's not checking me to see. <laughs> you got to know your Dressed. environmental context. Right? Yes. When can you be naked? Yes. <laughs> Always. Hey, that's how you come into the world, right? Yep. Do I'm you sorry. have any final thoughts you want to share? Oh, wisdom? Um, I just really enjoyed this. This was super fun. I'm so proud that you do this this podcast and that it is so reaches so many people in so many countries. And I just feel very honored that you asked me to participate. And I just think, like I mentioned, really take the time to, to learn and I think knowledge is power, as they say. And so if you know a little bit more, you'll feel a little bit more comfortable with teaching others and helping them change their attitudes a little bit, too. So let's let's see. Uh, as we have the the um, the gray tsunami, as they call it, coming towards <laughs> us, let's make sure that they're actively sexually happy Yeah, that they can keep it sexy. Yes. Keep, keep it, it sexy. sexy. Another fantastic show. It's always a good time talking to colleagues about sex. It is always a good time talking to colleagues. Um, did you have any specific takeaways? You know what I thought that was really interesting was, you know what? Knowledge is power, but it doesn't necessarily change people's attitudes about sex. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. So as, as we're getting all this knowledge, we still have to make that conscious effort to take that additional step to change attitudes around sexuality and intimacy and occupational therapy. And if you're interested more on this topic... Robin's really easy to find. If you search Robin Chilton at Cleveland State University, you can find her contact information. And I know she did say yesterday she'd be happy for people to find her if they're if you're interested in what she did with her research and talking to her more about it. Yeah, and we'll put her contact information up on our website. Remember, sex, sex is an ADL. ADL. Cheers. Cheers.